Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. How are you feeling in this moment? I just have a lot of guilt. It's hard to focus on, like, day-to-day things because I just feel like I'm so consumed by what's happening in, like, Palestine, especially in Gaza. The heart will be broken. Even sometimes I can't breathe. And sometimes, wallahi, when I watch the TV, I can't take any breath, and I open the windows, open the doors, because I can't take it anymore. I don't want to do the same things that I used to do. Like doing even my the simplest homework assignments, I cannot focus because in the back of my mind, all I think about is how they're struggling and what and what they're going through, and it's honestly very, very painful. As a person, I think dealing with this stuff, I've never felt more subhuman than I have in these last few weeks. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. We're going to talk this week about mental health and how we in the United States are processing the horrific reality of war from afar. And to get us started in that conversation, I'm joined by one of our producers, Suzanne Gabber. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Kai. So can I ask you the same question you put to the people we just heard? How are you feeling? Um, honestly, not great. Um, I'm Egyptian American and I feel like I've constantly been on the verge of tears for the past two weeks. Mm. And I've really not been clear on what to do with my emotions as I'm watching people die. And is that because you don't feel like you have people to talk to about it or is it something else? No, I, I feel like I have a lot of people to talk to. Um, but Mm. we're all stuck in these conversations of, feeling a lot of anger and helplessness. And it often feels like we don't really know what to do with our emotions. Um, and you know, Kai, I I was in second grade when 9-11 happened and I was living in a really white environment. I mean, like there were only a couple Arab American families in my community um, and it was really isolating. And I've been thinking a lot about that experience and how similar this moment feels. Um, so I, kind of went searching and I found something in Clifton, New Jersey that I hadn't really seen in my life as an Arab American. It was an Arab community that was actively centering their mental health right now. And I should say that Clifton, New Jersey and neighboring Patterson together, this is a place with a large Palestinian American community. People there actually refer to it as little Ramallah. So what did you encounter there? Well, I visited the Palestinian American Community Center there. And I met the executive director, Rania Mustafa, who explained to me 
why this feels like such a special place as an Arab American. You hear a lot of Arabic language being spoken. When you walk into a store, like, you're not expected to speak in English, you're expected to speak in Arabic. Um, we also have some signs now that say, welcome to Palestine Way. Um, so it's just that idea of really feeling of belonging, I think that's important. So when I walk there, I don't feel otherized. I don't feel different. I feel like I'm, you know, among the same people that care about the same struggles and the same things as I do. Um, and it just feels, it really, like, it feels like home a little bit, you know? And I think a lot of us, for example, I've grew up with this, sometimes take it for granted um, because of the fact that, you know, we grew up with it. So it's like, what do we know? We don't know anything different. Um, but when I'm able to walk and get, you know, like uh, seeds, like visit, right? Or if I'm able to go and get like a quick shawarma sandwich or I'm able to go and just strike up a conversation with Ammo, like it just, it's something that I think a lot of people don't have. And I think that's helped a lot of us shape our identities and what it means to be Palestinian American. Totally. As somebody who grew up not in that environment, yeah. I'm so jealous. That sounds amazing. <laughs> One of the things that when I was looking at PAC is that you guys do so many different types of programs. Yeah. And I think from the beginning, it seems like you've had a lot of mental health resources. Yes. And that why was that so important to you to have even before the last two weeks? I've always been really passionate about psychology and mental health. Um, in an alternate world, I would have been a psychologist. That's kind of where I wanted to head. Um, and that's where I wanted to be. And so I've always known the importance of mental health and understanding of who you are and what you can contribute to society. And I knew that if this part of who you are, the mental health component, is not um, attended to or cared for, nothing else kind of matters. And you'll be struggling with everything else. Um, and I saw that first and foremost with like, you know, the community that I grew up in, with the people I interacted with, with myself, you know. Um, so I wanted to be able to work with our community to be able to get the, that out in the open. Let's talk about these mental health issues. Let's really try to address them. Um, and through that, each person will emerge as a stronger, healthier, more empowered individual. Um, and that's really what we've been doing since day one. Wow, yeah. So Rania and her colleagues have been working on mental health since way before the past few weeks. And you said, Suzanne, you hadn't seen this before. Is that because, as you know, with many communities of color, mental health resources are generally scarce in Arab American communities? Yeah, that's one of the things Rania told me. She also said there was a lot of hesitation around addressing mental health directly. We always try to include it in different ways. Um, you know, our, there's a lot of taboo around this topic. And when you tell people, come talk about mental health, they'll tell you no. But then you say, hey, let's go. Let's talk about something else. And like, let's have brunch together. They'll be like, yeah, sure, let's come, you know. And then you slowly get them to start opening up. And, you know, and that's really something that we try to do with everything. Like even with our youth programming, like indirectly, we try to bring in mental health. And, you know, she spent 10 years working to expand that access in New Jersey. And even for her... It's been hard to separate herself from the violence happening in Palestine. I think these last few weeks, like a lot of people don't realize what a lot of um, Palestinians have been going through. And one of them is that we feel sometimes like we're in it, but we're not in it. So I've woken up a few times these last few days screaming from nightmares. Um, and the nightmare was that my, my son was shot or that we're in, caught in the middle of an, an, an airstrike or in, caught in the middle of a missile. Um, or even here, being attacked here, like in a different way, or um, being in a protest. Like I've been having constant nightmares, right? Constant nightmares in different capacities um, and feeling completely helpless and not knowing what to do. And so I wake up screaming. Um, and then the other thing is also I felt 
Like sometimes like when I'm when I emerge from like, I guess the world or when I go out and I'm like surprised that everything is normal. Like in my head, I'm like, look, where's the chaos and where's, you know, the airstrikes and where's this? And even sometimes like one time I was, I was telling you earlier that one time I was, I was driving back and I heard a sound and in my head I was like, is that a missile? And I have to tell you, I've heard a lot of this from my Palestinian friends. When your family's abroad, so is part of your heart and it, it feels like you're experiencing it with them, even if you're nowhere near. Um, so people are really looking for some kind of connection. Um, people are able to kind of realize a little bit more of like, wait, I need community right now. I need a sense of healing. I'm, I'm crying every single day. I'm not able to get off my phone. I'm not sleeping right. Um, I'm, I don't have any desire to go to work. I don't have any desire to go out, you know, and, and that's also something that is very important to note. Like people have been canceling vacations, people have not been going to work because either they don't feel safe or they just don't have the motivation to do it. Um, people have ha- canceled engagement parties. Um, you know, so there's there's a collective grieving that's happening in our community, um, and I think everybody kind of feels wrong about doing anything like frivolous or just enjoying life. And there's a lot of guilt that's associated with that. So people are trying to relieve some of that stress. And Rania's community center held Zoom listening sessions for people around the country, not just in New Jersey. And then they hosted an in-person event to bring everyone together, to heal in a bunch of different ways. And really just being in the same space together to finally exhale. Like, I walked to the event and honestly, I was in tears because I was like, the first time in two weeks, I felt peace in my heart. It was like, it was you know, bustling and people were moving, hustling and bustling. It was beautiful. Like everyone was around, everyone was moving. Um, And we had like resources over here. And then like kids were selling things for Palestine here. And then we had three support groups upstairs. Then we had art therapy. Then we had a story time. And people were just walking around. People were hugging. Some people were crying. Like, you know, and it was just such a beautiful feeling, you know, where everyone was just together. And like when you hugged the other person, like the other person knew exactly how you feel and exactly where you are. And, like, that hug was not a hug of, like, pity. It was more a hug of, like, we got this and we're going to get through it together, you know? And I think that was something so, so beautiful. Um, And I I think every person who left that day walked away, like, feeling a little lighter. This is a super basic question. Yeah, yeah. But but why were you crying over almost every day what were that where was those feelings coming from um i think it's fear guilt uh a little bit of survivor's guilt like because my parents left i was not i wasn't born in palestine you know and because of different you know choices my my family had that we didn't end up being in that same situation so i think a lot of us sat with that for a little bit um as being here in america and thinking like that easily could have been us Right. So that guilt that comes with that. The second part of the guilt is that coming to terms again with the American identity that our tax dollars are paying for this. Right. And I just was like, even thinking about it is making me want to cry. But like just like thinking, like, how do you face your community and say that our money is what is killing us? Right. And and the question is, like, how do you how do you grapple with that?
War is a terrible thing. As Americans, most of us have for a very long time been granted the privilege of keeping it at a distance. It has become an abstraction, at best a political concept. But for others of us, that has not been so easy. Certainly since 9-11 and the wars that the U.S. has waged in its wake, many Arab Americans and Muslim Americans have found themselves unable to avoid questions like the ones Rania is asking. And certainly for people with family in Gaza right now, the ugly realities of war are inescapable. So as these horrible headlines come out of the region, after a weekend in which there was a communications blackout in Gaza and in which monitors are warning of a rapidly escalating humanitarian crisis, we are making space for mental health. We're going to start by focusing particularly on Palestinian Americans and people with family ties in Gaza, and we'll broaden from there as time permits. I'll be joined by Lena Derhali, a licensed psychotherapist, author, and public speaker. And we want to hear from you. Again, starting with listeners who have loved ones in Gaza. What are you feeling in this time? Were you cut off from your family this weekend? Try and name the emotions that are coming up. Give us a call or text message and let us know how Lena Darhali may be able to help. And we'll meet Lena after a break. The archives at Carnegie Hall hold treasures from our cultural history. In the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk, we use these items as touchstones to explore how the past shaped the world we live in today. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and I'll be joined by historians, performers, cultural critics, and others to look back at the iconic venue's legendary and sometimes quirky history. If This Hall Could Talk, from Carnegie Hall and distributed by WQXR. Listen wherever you get podcasts. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. This week, as the death toll mounts in Gaza amid an unprecedented stretch of bombing, and as Israel's campaign to cripple Hamas generates a rapidly escalating humanitarian crisis, we're talking with Palestinian-American and Arab-American communities about the emotional toll of war, particularly those with family and loved ones in Gaza right now. I'm joined by Lena Darhali, a licensed psychotherapist, author, and public speaker who has worked closely with the communities most affected. Hi, Lena. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kai. Thanks for having me and making space for this topic. And we can take your calls and text messages. We want to start again by talking with Palestinian-American and Arab-American listeners, particularly those with family in Gaza right now. What are you feeling in this time and how might Lena offer some help in confronting it? Lena, in our previous segment, our producer visited a community center in Clifton, New Jersey, um, which serves a Palestinian-American community. And we heard the director say of herself, quote, I need community right now. I need a sense of healing. You are a relationship therapist. And I just want to start there with how just that those th- that comment resonates with you. Oh, it resonates more than you know. Um, I was thinking about this a lot just in my own grief as a Palestinian-American in the USA and just thinking about this mental health connection and that I I believe that community and being in relationship with safe people who care is 
actually the most important thing that we can do right now for our mental health. So it really, really resonates. Wow. How have been, as you said, this is both personal and professional conversation for you. How have you been the past few weeks? Not good. Um, you know, I, I keep thinking that I, I may choke up, I may cry in this conversation. And I think that that's okay. I think that being able to express our emotions about what's going on is absolutely critical right now. And I have no shame about the emotion that comes up for me as it as it will happen, you know, and, um, but no, this has been the most devastating, um, you know, choking up now a few weeks of my life. Um, and it's been the most devastating collective grief in our community than we've ever seen. So um, you can hear in my voice, it's it's just immense, immense pain. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you grow up feeling connected to your Palestinian heritage? You grew up here in the U.S., right? What, did you grow up feeling did, yeah. feeling connected to, to the community? Oh, 100%. Um, my father came to uh, the U.S. from Bethlehem, Palestine, when he was about 15 years old. He's the oldest of five kids. He has sort of the immigrant American dream experience. But my Palestinian grandparents, I grew up about an hour's drive from them. And so I was really immersed in my Palestinian identity. My mother's American, but she actually kind of adopted the culture as well. I say she's probably one of the best cooks of Arabic food that I've ever <laughs> met. So um, we also say too, when you marry into you know an Arab American family, you sort of adopt that culture as well. But um, you know, my father was always very, I think, intentional about letting. Um, me know about where I came from and and what that meant. And, you know, I have a, a rich family history. I'm, I'm Christian, and I bring that up because I think a lot of people don't realize that there are Palestinian Christians. And um, my great-grandfather was actually the mayor of Bethlehem, and my great-great-grandfather was a Greek Orthodox priest in the Church of Nativity, and I actually have a picture on my refrigerator right now of some of my cousins sitting at a table with Muhammad Ali, I don't, also don't think people know um, very well that Muhammad Ali was a really big activist and proponent of Palestinian liberation mm -hmm. and freedom. And uh, my father was also a founding board member of a peace organization called Seeds of Peace, which brought Palestinian and Israeli teenagers to a camp every summer in Maine with the hopes of uh, coexistence and seeing the other side of mm -hmm. human as mm -hmm. human. And I actually attended that camp myself as a, a tween. So, you know, it's just been a huge part of my life and my identity. And I'm a very proud and unapologetically Palestinian. Was that always the case, though? I mean, even as a kid, was was there any complexity to that? Of, um, It sounds like you just had all the resources you needed um, to be proud, but um, you're also growing up in the United States. <laughs> was there any complexity to that? That's a good question. And this unapologetic Palestinian identity that I have now is not how it always has been because I did grow up in the U.S. And there is a sentiment that is expressed to us as Palestinian children. You know, even just the other day, you know, I was talking to my parents and my dad said to me, be careful. You know, so there's always this this warning that, you know, you can't don't reveal too much about who you are. Sometimes you're not, you know, you shouldn't say who you are. You you might not get a job. Uh, this this world doesn't look favorably upon Palestinians. Your existence is political. Your existence is not always valued. And so I think, you know, that it, it took me a while to get to the point where 
you know, I can wear my keffiyeh in different places and and feel pr- or not fear about that anymore. Although, you know, it's it's hard to say that there's no fear at all because I think that complexity that you mentioned is always just a little bit there just because it's just kind of been embedded in us that we're not really safe in the U.S. And you mentioned earlier that this moment feels um, like the most, um, I don't don't remember what word you used, but uh, but the the most challenging that you've experienced as a Palestinian-American in the United States. Maybe it's an obvious question, but why? Why is this distinct from 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 other times? Yeah, and you know, I think it's important to mention that this is not new for us. This type of grief, you know, that they say that if a child is 15 years old in Palestine now and in Gaza right now, that um, this will be the fifth bombing that they have experienced. And and many of our parents and grandparents, you know, have been through the Nakba where. Our families were expelled from Palestine, and and many of us are, you know, refugees as well. I should mention, my husband is also Palestinian, and he was living in Kuwait, and when Iraq invaded Kuwait, he couldn't go back to his home. So there's also all these different levels of just displacement with Palestinians over the years. And so, you know, this is, this is something that's been with us for a long time, but you asked about this particular Incident, And I just don't think we have ever witnessed this type of, I'm going to use the word depravity, cruelty. Um, you know, what I, I hear people, and not just Palestinians and Arabs, I just keep hearing people say this is the most inhumane thing that they've ever witnessed, you know, and we're watching it play out in, in real time, thanks to social media, which I think we might get into a bit later, but we are experiencing, you know, in real time, this this cruelty, this collective punishment that I think even that you know non Arabs and non Palestinians um, are are actually feeling some of, a lot of this too. We will get into social media a little later, but I, I want to revisit the conversation we had earlier in the show again at that community center in Clifton, New Jersey, and I want to play something that the director Rania Mustafa said to our producer. So take a listen to this. Right now, what we're going through, like as a mom, I feel like I've been doing the bare minimum with my kids. And all I keep thinking is like, they're alive, they're well, they're safe, they're hu- like, that's all that matters. Um, but I think, you know, before all this was happening, like, obviously, like, being in the society and having the privilege and the comfort that I had, I like, was always trying to like, okay, how can I do extra? Like, let's take care of the emotional and social well being and all this different stuff. So this forced us to re- reflect on our parents, and how they were in a survival mode. You know, like they were, They've grown up in wars and they've grown up in in all these different like inhumane um, situations. And so when they looked at us, it was like they're fed, they're okay, they're safe. That's all that matters. Um, so it's interesting to think about the generational trauma because I think with us emerging in this you know society where like a lot of our immediate needs are attended to or taken care of, we're now like doing the extra stuff. But now we're like in these last three weeks, I feel like we're kind of like in a quote unquote war time or war zone that we're not taking care of like, you know, um, other needs. We're taking care of the immediate needs. Like my kids ate, my kids slept, my kids are okay. So there's a few things I want to ask you about in those comments, uh, Lena. And so one is just parenting in general. Have you, has this come up in your work or in your uh, personal life, how parents are feeling right now in Palestinian American communities in particular? Um, and, um, and what would you say to someone like Rania? 
Yeah, I mean, I can definitely speak to that myself. I'm a parent and I think that I've been re- I've only been able to do kind of what I call the bare minimum and I think a lot of the joy of parenting has been removed during these few weeks. Just I think what she had mentioned is the inability to focus. It's, you know, doing the basic tasks. It's like you're just getting through the day. Did I did I get my kids to school? Did I feed them? Did they go to bed on time? You know, but you sort of feel like a zombie that you're just going through the motions. I don't feel very present with my children. You know, I'm going to be, again, very brutally honest about my experience and how, because I think what this is emblematic of is trauma, you know, what we're talking about. And, And she mentioned generational trauma there as well. And this not being new, and this is the the trauma of our ancestors and and the trauma of our grandparents and parents. And it's really hard to just go about your daily life when you know what is happening to other people. And I would say, even if I wasn't Palestinian, because I know many other people now who are not Palestinian, who are not Arab, who are having the same trouble, who are having trouble focusing. I had a friend, she's Peruvian. She called out of work just the other day because she couldn't stop crying about you know what she was seeing and um, she's a parent as well and the other thing i keep hearing from parents and especially palestinian parents or um you know arab community parents is that you know they look at their own children and they see the children in gaza so um you know they see a 13 year old boy with his head bandaged and you know one of um One of my cousins had mentioned that to me. She saw the boy, the same age as her son, with his head wrapped up in bandages. You couldn't even see his face. And he was consoling his father, you know, telling his dad, I'm going to be okay. And she just started crying. Just, you know, that image evoked for her. That could have been my son. And, you know, everybody I know, they're seeing their own children in what's happening over there. And it's a really, really hard pill to swallow. Again, it just comes back to this really, really dark place of how do we do this to other human beings? How do we, and how do we do this to these innocent children? Some, you know, newborn babies talking about all these pregnant women there who have to give birth in these conditions where there's no anesthesia. There's no, the, the hospital corridors are littered with dead bodies. You know, they say that the hospitals that now are just smell of decay. And so, I think it's so hard for anybody to know what is happening and to feel anything but, you know, again, this really deep grief. Let's go to Amani in Minnesota. Amani, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for calling in. What did you want to share? Um, I can relate a lot to what um, Rainy was saying, and I'm actually really emotional just hearing because that's exactly how I feel. Um, I am a mother also. Um, and that guilt that I'm not showing up for my children or that, um, you know, I find myself even, um, being more angry or like short tempered with them because, you know, all I keep thinking about is what's happening. Um, in, in Palestine and now potentially Lebanon, which actually not potentially um, in Lebanon. Um, and as things just kind of spill over, you know, it's this, this constant, I mean, it's, it's gut wrenching. Um, and I mean, there's really no other, other words I'd 
I don't feel safe uh, discussing it with anyone um, because I'm afraid of, you know, backlash. I'm afraid for the safety of my children and my family. And so it's hard. Thank you for that, Amani. And Lena, what, particularly that I don't feel safe discussing it part, um, what, what would you say to someone like Amani? Yeah, I just validate that it makes so much sense because we're, we don't get any messages that we are safe. I mean, look at our government, look at the, the mainstream media and the messages that we receive. It's very dehumanizing. It's very invalidating. We don't, if we can't be protected and represented by our elected officials and our government. And we see again, we're, we're people who have lived through this also post 9-11 world where uh, Arabs were really, really demonized. And there were a lot of hate crimes. And, you know, we just saw a hate crime recently with the murder of a six-year-old Palestinian American in the Chicago suburbs. So I'd say it all makes sense. Um, you know, there's, I don't have too many comforting words in times like this, um, but I'm glad that Imani felt that she could call here, that there has to be some way to express. And I guess what I would like to tell people is if you do have safe people, even if it's one person, um, it's so important. Or even if you, you know, have to find a therapist. And I know for a lot of Arab Americans, it's hard to find a therapist that understands this. Um, so, you know, I, it's not easy and I don't want to, I don't want to pretend it is easier that there's a silver lining or there's a solution to this. But if there are any safe people, even if it's one, it's so important um, to be able to talk about this and to, to receive some kind of support. So you're not alone and, and you are not alone. We, you've mentioned the the comparison to the time after 9-11. It's come up a few times. Um, we have a text message from someone asking, how does this moment feel similar or different to after 9-11 or after Trump's Muslim ban? Um, in the minute and a half or so we have before we have to take a break, how, how, how does that time matter to now, or does it? Oh, it matters a lot. I mean, I think, again, it's the constant dehumanization, the... Arab community feels the again that sense of our, our safety, but post Iraq it was really really bad. You know, if you remember, there was the Freedom Fries, there was all these kind of really kind of pro U.S. anti Arab sentiments that were happening. And I think what happens when this type of situation happens that we're seeing is that it evokes a lot of that trauma again, and that the villainization. Um, you know, I've seen people send me, I've actually asked them to stop sending me some of these TikToks where they may mm. have, you know, Israelis mocking the bombings that are happening now or mocking Palestinians um, or just that hatred in general. Because I think when we consume that hatred or we experience that hatred or we hear about a hate crime, such as the Palestinian boy who I just mentioned, it triggers a, a strong trauma response within our bodies where we have to go into survival mode, but it's a, it's a very real fear and it's a very present in all of us on a day to day basis. I don't think it ever goes away. No. We need to take a break. I'm Kai Wright and I'm talking with Lena Darhali, a licensed psychotherapist, author, and public speaker about how Palestinian American and Arab American communities are dealing with the mental health challenges of this moment. 
in which many are watching from afar as they worry about the safety of their loved ones in Gaza. After the break, we also want to talk about how those of us who are not Palestinian-American or Arab-American are dealing with this moment, what mental health challenges are coming up, and how Lena might be able to advise us in that. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. My name is Rahima, and I help produce the show. I want to remind you that if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Here's how. First, you can email us. The address is notes at wnyc.org. Second, you can send us a voice message. Go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button that says start recording. Finally, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for both is notes with Kai. However you want to reach us, we'd love to hear from you and maybe use your message on the show. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Welcome back. This is Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. I'm joined by Lena Darharley, a licensed psychotherapist, author, and public speaker. And we're talking about how Palestinian-American and Arab-American communities are dealing with the mental and emotional health challenges of this moment. We are at the end of a particularly frightening weekend in Gaza in which there was a communications blackout and a bombing campaign that, by all accounts, is unprecedented in the 21st century in its volume. Israel has said the bombardment is necessary to cripple Hamas's military capabilities. Protests around the world this weekend called for a ceasefire, calling the campaign collective punishment against civilians. And whatever else is true, human rights monitors point to a rapidly escalating crisis there. So we are taking calls. We've been talking to Palestinian Americans who have family in the region in particular, where we can now take calls from everybody who has a question about how to handle their mental health in this moment uh, while we are watching such horrific news unfold. And let's go to Najla, who has who is in Staten Island, New York. Najla, welcome to the show. Hi, good evening. How are you? I am well. What did you want to share, Najla? Um, all I wanted to say is um, I wanted to let every single Palestinian household to know tonight that um, we are all mourning and grieving the loved ones, the children of Palestine, and um, we will definitely, definitely overcome this and stay strong. And soon um, it will be over. Keep praying um, and be grateful. That's it. That's what I'd love to let every single person know that are grieving and that are grieving and mourning at this given moment. Thank you for that, Najla. Uh, Lena, I've been asking you the questions we've heard from people in the streets, but um, what about your clients? I, I imagine you see clients of all different backgrounds. Um, in a private practice. How has this topic come up in your sessions over the past few weeks? It's come up in almost every single session, actually. And it's actually surprised me that I, I didn't think it necessarily would, especially for the clients. I do see a lot of Arab American clients and I do, I see Jewish clients, I have an Israeli client. And so, of course, you know, that's come up because it's it's such a a profound thing in all of our lives right now. 
but I've been surprised again about, um, you know, the people who are not directly impacted or do not have connections to the Middle East who have come in again, just to say like how distraught they are. Um, and I've never seen that happen in my career. You know, I've maybe been practicing maybe 12, 13 years now. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but, um, in that time frame. I don't ever remember a time where everybody was coming in wanting to talk about the same thing. But again, with mm. these feelings of hopelessness and deep sadness and, and helplessness and, and powerlessness and all of these things. And in some ways, it's actually been a bit of a, a comfort to me. I think back to the last caller. I, I believe, you know, all Palestinians, whether we're Muslim, Christian, whatever, wherever we come from, we are a family, all of us. I, I believe that. I believe that I feel the, the family love from all our Arab American brothers and sisters, but also from all our allies. We have tremendous Jewish allies, Black allies. The Black Palestinian Solidarity Movement is such an inspiring thing. And, and white allies. And, you know, I think it's, it's the thing that ha keeps me going is what I tell people. The only thing that has kept me going is to see that shared grief in all people that we do. We reject this. We reject what is happening, that it is it is not OK to do this to any other human beings, whether it's a child, a woman or a man. And I also want to say, because this, you know, that we always there was an article in The New York Times by another Palestinian psychologist that how we have to audition for your empathy. And I find the conversation always revolves around women and children. Why do we kill innocent women and children? But we're also killing innocent Palestinian men. And so I think that's also part of the conversation that feels a bit dehumanizing is that we have to show the women and children or the pregnant women in hopes that people will empathize with us when we show you know, the most vulnerable parts of the population. But every single innocent life has so much value. And so I just wanted to, Absolutely. went a little off topic, but I wanted to say that too. Well, I mean, that's certainly resonant for, for many African-Americans um, in talking about uh, a number of issues. Yes. For empathy. Mm -hmm. What about people who generally don't know how to process their feelings as, as they're witnessing this and who don't feel like they have a lane to speak up? Like to well-meaning people who who don't know what to say or do the wrong thing, does that come up? And if so, how, or either in your practice or, or in your life, if so what what are what do you say to those folks? Yeah, and I think are you talking more like publicly speaking, like if they're going on to a social I, no, media? No, both. Profile? No, I think oh, actually, okay. yeah. like in 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 real life. <laughs> um, yeah, you know that's the space in, we're in here. Yeah, I think in real life. You know, this is general for all grief because I do a lot of grief counseling is people often don't know what to say when someone is going through a really hard time. And in fact, sometimes one of the things that people do is they avoid. And so, uh, you know, there, there may be just a variation of responses to how people are dealing with this. And one of those things may be avoidance. And again, there may be some fear underlying that avoidance again, because this is such a controversial, it shouldn't be, but it's, it's a controversial topic. And we, you know, we're seeing editors uh, being fired from their jobs for, you know, there was one editor who retweeted an Onion article and was fired. And so I think there's that culture of fear 
um, that's also making people avoid the topic. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's complicated. Everybody's got a different situation. But I would say if you know of someone directly impacted, and I've experienced this a lot, I've experienced a lot of love and support um, throughout this because, again, in my adult years, I've been unapologetically Palestinian. So anyone who knows me knows that about me and knows how important the, uh, the identity is to me and, and how connected I feel to my people. And, you know, sometimes people just say, I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. Do you, do you want to go for a walk? Um, what's happening is awful. And they don't even need to say anything more than that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think just being able to, to recognize the the pain within yourself, because again, it's not just pain of Palestinians and Arabs right now. There are many people, maybe it's not the same pain, but there's still a lot of pain. And to connect with that own pain within yourself and to, you know, I think you said Kai in the beginning, which was a very therapist of you to sort of name the feelings, to be (laughs) able to name what we're feeling is really important and to be able to vocalize that and to connect with others through that shared feeling and that shared experience, which circles back again to community and how that solace and community is being able to um, share feelings together. I, I seek a great deal of therapy, Lena, I have to tell you. So. <laughs> I can tell. That's good. <laughs> in, in this work, it is, it is yeah. crucial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to Christine in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Christine, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I just want to say how much I empathize with the pain and the dehumanization um, that the Palestinian Arab Americans are going through right now. I'm a Jewish American, and... I, I I feel the same way. I I don't. I haven't discussed the war with anybody but a few really close friends. I don't share with people in general that I'm Jewish um, for because I've experienced mm. anti-Semitism. So have my kids at school, and I guess I'm just wondering if there's a way <laughs> where our communities can come together over a shared. Um, a shared love of of humanity and a way that we can bridge um, our common uh, emotions and experiences that we're sharing because so many people are hurting and I just wish that there could be some commonality so that we can support each other. Thank you for that, Christine. And Lena, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Christine said, 100%. And I said, again, um, I love our Jewish allies. Or, you know, you saw Jewish Voice for Peace, um, this group led by Jews, shut down Grand Central Station. And again, it's this, this shared humanity. But to Christine, I also wanted to say, you know, just to share a little tidbit without getting into anything for confidentiality reasons, I did mention I have an Israeli client and One of the things that he said to me was, you are one of the only people that can understand this. And I loved that Mm. because we are, you know, we're coming from different, I can still be his therapist as a Palestinian. And we can, we have this shared experience where he's, you know, he has Jewish children who are not in this country. And again, for confidentiality reasons, I'm not going to say any more, 
But the fact that he has to tell his Jewish children to hide their identity because it doesn't feel safe right now, because anti-Semitism is very, very real, and as is Islamophobia. And But uh, what I really appreciated about what he said to me was that you are the one person who understands what that's like. So like that hiding your identity, um, especially when you're white, like your viewers can't see me, but I'm not a dark Palestinian and I have the privilege. I've always this immense privilege of being able to hide my identity, but there is still the fear of, you know, um, like Christine said, that she is, her children have experienced anti-Semitism and we do have, and that was what was great about uh, coming from Seeds of Peace, where we brought Palestinian and Israeli uh, children together at a camp. It's about shared humanity. And I believe that most people in this world, we all want the same things. You know, it's just, I, I don't believe it's really the people here that are, like, the, the general public, that's the problem. Mm. It's um, the people in power. There's some megalomania going on. There's some malignant narcissism going on. There's... Mm money and power but this doesn't represent and this and this is not what i have seen this time around you know i've seen everybody just wants people to live with peace security and that's it we don't most people don't want to see this for anybody and i think that that's really important now how to how to bridge those gaps i, I probably couldn't answer that today but i think that was a, an important thing to yeah. share and to yeah. note that yeah. we are more alike than than what is portrayed in the media. Um, let's go to Stacy in Morrisville, Vermont. Stacy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say I, I am not Palestinian, but I've always been very empathetic towards the people in Gaza and the West Bank. And just on my part, I've been very broken about this for a while. Um, and I've just been calling my representatives in the White House and pretty much demanding that they call for a ceasefire because that's really needs to happen. And also to call the representatives that put forth that um, bill for the ceasefire. I think there was like 22 people, Congress people that signed that um, to encourage them and thank them for doing that. So I guess that's just my little part. Plus Mm. saying lots of prayers. Thank you for that, Stacey. Uh, Lena, I want to play a voicemail we got from Noor. She is a Palestinian-American journalist based here in New York, and she has concerns about the impact the news is going to have on her community and how sustainable it is for her to stay engaged. Here's here's what she said. I found, like, the most productive way for me to keep sharing updates and resources with folks is to dissociate from what's happening. Um but there have been times that that I've broken down and allowed myself to really feel everything. Um, and that kind of just makes me want to give up. And then I feel guilty afterwards also because I know that I'm not even facing a fraction of, of what they're facing in Gaza. And so I tell myself, you know, I'm safe where I am. And if the people in Gaza are still living um, and sharing updates and connecting with us despite everything, then I can go on too. And, and so I feel an obligation to do that. Um, but at the end of this, you know, I'm just worried that if, if this continues to be the situation, if nothing changes, you know, I'm just worried about the impact on all of us. You know, how can we continue this way? 
What, what do you think about that, Lena? I mean, the um, there's a couple of things in there, but I, first off, the the idea of dissociating in order to engage, certainly I can relate. Um, but I wonder, I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's so relatable and it's something that I have heard every single Palestinian or Arab American say, you know, especially this this thing about this guilt and this understanding that whatever we're experiencing, which, you know, everybody I've spoken to who has a direct connection to this sobs all day, every day, or, you know, has to take breaks where it's just uncontrollable sobbing and it doesn't feel sustainable. But then we have this, again, this understanding that whatever we're feeling is the tiniest iota of what the people on the ground are feeling in Gaza. So, you know, it's, it, it's really hard to think about if we are feeling like that and what they're feeling over there, I, I guarantee is just complete survival mode. So when you're in that survival mode, as somebody said to me, they don't even have the privilege to grieve. Yeah. Like that is what the, is, that is the gravity of the situation, not having the privilege to break down and grieve. And so we as Palestinians on wanting to honor our brothers and sisters in Palestine, like we, we have the luxury to grieve. And so we must keep going yeah. and we must do it for them. And they're so strong and, um, and we don't want them to feel we're alone. And I've heard a you know a bunch of people on here. To, they're calling their representatives, and it can feel very fruitless. And you know, again, it's these things are just not easy. Um, they're not easy to answer because again, there's the anxiety that everyone is feeling is that there's an unknown mm-hmm. component that we don't know when this is going to end. And, and so, and when, I just I want to yeah. hop in for that la- on that yeah. point because we've only got about um, thirty seconds left here. Oh, okay. but. <laughs> Uh, but on that sustainability point, yeah, what would you say? Because exactly that, who knows how long this goes on? If people are sobbing all day, every day, how do you sustain yeah. yourself? In so this, this is what I tell all people through trauma and grief. Sometimes it's one day at a time. Sometimes it's one minute. Sometimes it's one second. But we have to stay in the present moment right now and just go with what is we're experiencing in the present moment. And if you need to disassociate for a bit, if you, you know, you need to do what you need to do, do that and then come back to it. You know, that this, that you can take a break, but you can come back to it. But I would say one day at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. We got to leave it there. Lena Darhali is a licensed psychotherapist, author, and public speaker. Lena, thanks for taking time for this conversation. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and at Notes with Kai on Instagram. Theme music and sound design by Jared Paul. Matthew Mirando is our live engineer. Our team also includes Regina Dehir, Karen Frillman, Suzanne Gaber, Rahima Nasa, David Norville, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. Our executive producer is Andre Robert Lee, and I am Kai Wright. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>